Thank you so much for all of the music and sharing and testimony of baptism and all of our rich worship experience this morning. We're in a sermon series, What the Bible is All About, trying to get the big story, how we fit in, where we fit in with God's big story. In just a moment, I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. Before I read that, I would like to invite us to a time of prayer. Shall we just bow together and be in God's presence for a few moments, enjoying some moments of reflection and meditation and silence to be in God's presence and soaking up the holy presence of God. We are on holy ground, gracious God. You have invited us to be here, ushered in by the Holy Spirit through the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our High Priest. We thank you for the rich privilege of knowing you, being in a relationship with you, worshiping you, and being known as your children, called by name. How we thank you for the mystery of conversion, for the new life in Jesus Christ that continues to form within us, and how we thank you for forgiveness, cleansing, and renewal that comes in our stumbling and our failure. We pray today for our church's mission everywhere on the earth, for the safety of those in our congregation who are serving in the military, for them and their families. We pray for the sick and the grieving in our church family, and And on this Labor Day weekend, we acknowledge to you that all of our lives are linked together so that each affects the other. Teach us to live for the common good. Sanctify the labor of our hands. Make us mindful of the rights of workers. Today, bless the unemployed and the underemployed. And provide a living wage, we pray, for all to live with dignity and economic security. And we pray today for all of those imprisoned. We pray for those incarcerated, that you might bless them and be near them today. We pray for those oppressed by war, especially in northern Iraq. For those uh, persecuted for their faith. And for all of us who are enslaved by habits and lifestyles that do not honor you and do not live up to our full potential. We pray that you will open our hearts to the mystery and the joys and the teaching of Scripture, feed our hungry souls, and be honored by what we do with it. We pray together in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, and I'm going to read through chapter 3, verse 12, and I invite you, if you're able, to stand as God's Word comes among us as I read it aloud. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land, out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. May God bless the reading and hearing of His holy word. You may be seated. Are you enslaved? Now, before you answer too quickly, I want you to think about the fact that not all slavery is visible. Not all slavery is something we can see with the naked eye. Slavery is anything that keeps us from being everything we were created to be. Slavery is anything that, that uh, makes choices for us that are not healthy choices, that direct lifestyle in ways that we don't want to go. Are you enslaved? Furthermore, are you in some way contributing to the slavery of others, either knowingly or unknowingly, by action or inaction? Are you contributing to the slavery of others? And before you answer, think about the kinds of slavery that are both visible and invisible. You know, I thought and thought all week long of what could be sort of a driving dominant image for us to gather our thoughts around as we think about the theme of slavery and freedom. And then I realize that every Christmas there is a story that we read and we see on TV and and on the screen and and we see performed live, and that's A Christmas Carol by uh, Charles Dickens. Uh, Old Scrooge was sleeping that Christmas Eve, and uh, his partner, Jacob Marley, who had already died, came to visit him. And the clanging of the chains woke up old Scrooge, and and the ghost of Marley, the dead partner, came uh, rambling in as the chains clanged. And, And we all have a mental image of our favorite version of A Christmas Carol. Our favorite one that plays Scrooge, our favorite person who plays Marley, 
but this is graphic enough to give us the impression, all those chains, all those balls and chains, all of that bondage going on, and Marley says to Scrooge, trying to warn him, these are the chains that I forged in my lifetime. We don't usually talk about that any other time but Christmas. And we're so sugared up at Christmas, we don't remember it. So that's why we're talking about it in August. You're not sugared up this morning. Chains, remember that image. Hang on to that image. Now, as we work our way through what the Bible is all about, uh, a brief history lesson to remind us of some chronology, which we talked about last Sunday, uh, somewhere between the year 2000 and 1750 B.C., Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived. We talked about that great story last week about Abraham being the father of Isaac, Isaac being the father of Jacob, Jacob having 12 sons, and one of those sons was sold into slavery. Joseph ended up in Egypt. He was sort of the prime minister in charge of food aid during a horrendous famine. When the family reconciliation finally happened, Jacob and his sons all went down to Egypt and they began to multiply and they began to grow and they became very, very, uh, they populated the region and the Egyptians became very frightened and, and very, very intimidated by their growth. So they enslaved the Israelites. And the first two chapters of Exodus cover 200 years and 400 years uh, all together when you, when you think about all of, of the things that are happening to Moses by this particular time. Uh, approximately 400 years uh, from, from the beginning point to this story here. And uh, wow, what an epic story. And the story of the oppressed people. The story of those, of those people in horrific bondage. And it's as if the, re, the writer of the... Uh, Exodus story wants us to get how hopeless the situation is. He wants us to grab that. He wants us to know that and to hang on to it. And, uh, and then we read, after we read about their terrible bondage, how God felt about it. It's always interesting to think about how God feels about what's going on in our world today. God, how do you feel about what was happening to the Israelite slaves? Well, Really, that's not a tough question. If you have children or a favorite niece or nephew or some, some children that you're particularly fond of, how do you feel when the children you love are being bullied on the playground? How do you feel when children you care about are not getting their turn at recess or not getting their opportunity in school? How does it feel when somebody you love is mistreated over and over and over again? And of course, the parent in us, just, just, there just is an anger and an indignation that rises up. Well, God loves us infinitely more than we love our biological families. Imagine how God felt about the way the Egyptians were persecuting and oppressing, making slaves of the Israelites. And in verse 24 of chapter 2, we get these four verbs that are so powerful. God heard their cry. God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw 
what the Egyptians were doing to them, and God knew. Now, the writer was very intentional with parallel phrasing to give us very graphic verbs. God heard, God remembered, God saw, God knew, and that word knew in Hebrew is a rich word. It's a knowing that means that God knew so much about it that he was actually entering into the suffering experience with his people. He was was knowing in such a way that he was feeling what they felt. And And it's a tragic, tragic story of oppression and terrible, terrible uh, persecution. And so, in that kind of scene, with that kind of pain, God called Moses. Moses was on the backside of nowhere. He'd run away because he'd had some trouble with the law. And uh, he's tending sheep. A little overqualified for that job, we find out, but there's a lot of parallels between tending sheep and taking care of people. Just ask me. And so he's tending sheep, and and there's this burning bush. It's burning, and it's not consumed. He starts to walk toward it. The voice of God comes and says, you're on holy ground. Take off your sandals. I've seen the oppression of your people. I've heard their cry. God goes through it again. God says to Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to cry, let my people go. Moses says, I was with you up to that last part, God. Me? Me? And he starts making excuses. God says, I'll be with you. Moses reluctantly goes. He goes to Pharaoh over and over again. But you know, people never give up power voluntarily. And Pharaoh was not about to give up power just because some shepherd came and said, you need to change your ways. And so ten plagues come on the Egyptians to leverage God's people out of slavery. Ten plagues, and the tenth plague was the worst of all. It's the one that finally uh, did the trick. The tenth plague was the death of the firstborn of every household, of every stall and barn. Death of the firstborn everywhere, unless, unless the blood of the lamb was smeared on the doorposts of the house. And if that was the case, then the death angel passed over, thus the Jewish celebration of Passover that is still celebrated today, the death death angel passed over. And the blood of the innocent lamb is to remind us that freedom is never cheap, that it costs a great deal to leverage God's people out of bondage, and that's why Jesus is called in the New Testament the Lamb of God who ransomed or rescues us out of slavery. I want you to, as you, as you think about the power of that last plague, leveraging God's people, Pharaoh finally letting them go, thousands and thousands leaving slavery, I want you to think with me how many times in the Bible the theme of freedom is, is addressed, the, free, the, the theme of slavery and freedom. I mean, if I had time, I could take you through nearly every book of the Old Testament, every book of the New Testament with that theme of freedom. Uh, Just to make it very brief, I'll tell you that the word redemption, if you were to stop a person on the street and ask them the connotation, the context for the word redemption, they'd probably say it has something to do with religion. It has something to do with church. When in reality, redemption was, first of all, a secular word. It was a word of commerce. It was a word about slave trade that someone could buy a slave 
and then after purchasing that slave, set that slave free, that was called redeeming or ransoming that slave out of bondage. It was redemption. It was a slave that was used in in slave trade before it was ever used. The Bible borrowed it to say, this is what God has done. He's leveraged his people out of slavery into freedom. Jesus himself used the language of freedom over and over again. His inaugural sermon in Luke chapter 4, the beginning of his public ministry, he quotes Isaiah and he says, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to announce pardon to the prisoners. That's a freedom theme. And to set the burdened and the battered free to announce this is God's year to act. That's Jesus setting the tone for his ministry saying, I have come to liberate people. I have come to set people free. Now here's the point of all this. Freedom is always something God, that God is interested in. All kinds of freedom God is deeply interested in. Let me say it another way. Slavery is always God's business. God will always stick his nose in human affairs when people are oppressed. In the famous Lincoln-Douglas debates of 1858, when Abraham Lincoln was running against Stephen Douglas for the U.S. Senate seat from Illinois, the debates attracted crowds from all over as that great debate that our nation was having about slavery was taking place. And historians tell us that the fifth debate is when Lincoln began to get traction and when the campaign turned. And historians say that the campaign turned and Lincoln began to get traction when he stopped focusing so much on the economic and political issue of slavery and he started focusing on the morality or the immorality of slavery. It's when he started talking about what's right and what's wrong, about what's moral and immoral, in this case immoral, about taking human beings and treating them like animals. That's when things really changed. Slavery is always God's business. Whether that slavery is of one kind or another, whether it's visible or invisible, It's always God's business, and God is out to liberate people. God's out to liberate us from our fears, from our guilt, from our sins. He's out to liberate us from our addictions. He's out to liberate us from death. God wants us to be free uh, from payday loans that charge 450% interest. God wants us to be free from hunger, free from cycles of poverty. God wants us free of racism and class hatred. God wants his people free of structural evil as well as personal evil. And you know, sometimes we forget the social justice dimension of the gospel, but I want to remind you, Moses did not go to Pharaoh and say, I want to give you ten steps to peace with God. Moses didn't say to his own people, 
I want to give you five easy steps for raising your children. His message was not about heaven someday by and by. His message was one that challenged the existing political, economic, social, and religious structure of his day. Because God was calling him to set people free. Now, the interesting thing is that a lot of us stop right there with that message of liberation. And uh, we, we forget to move on. There's really another part to the Exodus story that's just as powerful and just as dramatic and just as important. And it's this. No more had the people of uh, Israel been liberated from Pharaoh's bondage than they had a new problem. They looked back and Pharaoh had changed his mind. Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let them go. What was I thinking? And so Pharaoh's army with all their chariots come after the Israelites. And there finally reaches a point where the Israelites are trapped. There is the sea in front of them and there is Pharaoh's army behind them. But God wanted them to learn that day an important lesson that we all have to learn. And that's this. The God who leads us out is also the God who can lead us through. If God has the power to lead us out of Egypt, God will find a way to lead us through the Red Sea. And sure enough, Moses raised his arms and the wind blew all night long and the sea parted and there was dry land and the people of God went across on dry land. The water closed up and destroyed Pharaoh's army. If God can lead us out, God can also lead us through. The Exodus became the yardstick by which all of God's people measured God's power. They'd come up against a problem. They'd say, well, you know, if God could, if God could lead us out of Egypt, then God can do anything. That's the yardstick. And the, Isra- and the Israelites were learning that lesson very quickly. No sooner had they been... Uh, released from captivity, then they face that first lesson. If God led you out, God can lead you through. What's the New Testament yardstick for God's power? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If God raised Jesus from the dead, He can take care of any problem. The yardstick for measuring God's power against your greatest crisis this morning is the resurrection of Jesus. If God led you out, He will lead you through. The yardstick for measuring God's power against that impossible situation you are dealing with today is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If He led you out, He will lead you through. The yardstick for measuring God's power against your greatest despair and hopelessness, whatever your current hopelessness is this morning, God can lead you through. And the way we know that is the yardstick of exodus and resurrection. God wants us to be free, free of every kind of bondage. God wants us to stay free. And God wants us working for the freedom of others. God says to us, let my people go. Let's pray.